0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Dolphins of Death podcast. I'm Daniel Yufusi. Thanks so much for tuning in. Quick reminder before we start, make sure to subscribe to the Miami Herald YouTube page. Like, share, comment, all that good stuff, as well as subscribe to the Miami Herald. Uh, As you can see, or for the people who aren't watching on YouTube, uh, I've got a special guest with me this week. We're about uh, a month away, a couple weeks away from the start of the NFL draft. And the Dolphins, despite four picks, uh, they're still working hard uh, as they evaluate scout uh, this year's draft prospects. Uh, Chris Greer, Mike McDaniel, all the coaching staff has been out on the road for pro days. Uh, They got a couple. 30 visits lined up, bringing some guys into the facility. Uh, so they're full steam ahead with the draft process. So we're going to get into that. And to do that, this week, I brought on a good friend, Kyron Samuels. I'm going gonna, gonna to give him the floor to introduce himself before we get into some draft prospects that he has his eyes out
1: for. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Kyron Samuels. I'm from uh, South Alabama, so football's always been a big part of my life. I come from a football family. Uh, my uncle Chris Samuels played in the NFL at the University of Alabama uh, six-time Pro Bowl. My uncle, Lawrence Samuels, uh, played 15 years in the Arena Football League and is in the Arena Football League Hall of Fame. So I grew up in a football family, always been around it. I uh, was lucky enough to play some college football, Division One at Jacksonville State University. Um, I had like a short-standing NFL in the NFL for summer, uh, then went straight from the NFL to uh, Arena Football myself. So I followed my uncle Lawrence's footsteps, played in the Arena Football League for four years. And then uh, post-football, uh, after the pandemic, I had some injuries, career ended, went right into sports media. So I've been Uh, doing a lot of media work uh doing a little bit of writing a little bit of uh podcasting a little bit of show hosting a little bit of everything it's a work on the side so uh just been full fledged in the sports media and you know i love my dolphins too so i gotta get gotta always have the dolphins dudes up to date and i'm always looking for the roster moves and i'm trying to get into the cap a little bit more so i can be more logical instead of just like i like this guy because he plays ball well i want to be realistic with like can we get the guy now so trying to get into a little bit more of the cap stuff but That's my background, you know, obviously passionate about football, so ready to get into it.
0: Yeah, yeah, we uh we actually connected through some mutual friends. I think it was kind of late into the into, into this past season, um, and I quickly found out you're a Dolphins fan. So we have been having a lot of <laughs> talks about the Dolphins over the past couple <laughs> over the past couple months. And obviously, you have you have that perspective um uh, of having played the game uh you know at a high level, and now you're kind of transitioning into the media space. So um you know I know even before the combine, I was uh picking your brain, asking you for some guys that uh, I should keep an eye out uh in the trenches. So we're definitely gonna get into that. I know you brought a list. Of of uh, offensive line and some tight end guys. We're going to do offensive line and tight end today. Um, where, where do you want to start? Or well, actually, let's, let's start big picture um, because, you know, the the recent history or you can say the long history of the Dolphins, uh, if you really want to go back a decade or so, it's just been inconsistency on the offensive line, even this past season, uh, nine different starting offensive line combinations. Um, we have a lot of injuries to guys like Teron Armstead, Liam Eichenberg, Austin Jackson. Um, like I said, uh, just reshuffling every week of the offensive line uh, co- starting combination after the season uh, the Dolphins uh, fire Mac, Matt Applebaum after one season they bring in Butch Berry um, you know talking to Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel they're really high on Eichenberg and Austin Jackson um, but you know with, with the team that has Super Bowl aspirations and we can say Super Bowl aspirations given the recent success of the team and the moves that they've made in the past year plus we can say Super Bowl aspirations um, you have to be strong in the offensive line um, Just what would it be your thoughts on the offensive line, um, you know, uh and, and you know, the group that they have right now?
1: Uh, so, first of all, I would like to say that I feel like a lot of the criticism last year was a little bit unfair. I think they were a little bit better than people gave them credit for last year, especially when you look at what they were in the 2021 season and the 2020 season. So, yeah. I think they made a little bit of the a little bit of improvement. That's due to the guys they went out and got. Obviously, you'll get an all-pro level guy, Teron Armstead. You get a guy, in Connor uh, Williams, the center. That And you know, I was a little hesitant on I didn't know if he was going to be able to – you know, handle his own and, you know, be in a different system. Uh, That's a little bit more pass blocking heavy, not run blocking where he can get aggressive and do his thing there. And he held his own. I thought he played pretty well this season. I didn't have a ton of complaints about him. Uh, Everybody's pretty scared of, you know, I think he led the NFL in penalties when he was in Dallas. So a little people were scared about that. And I thought he did a pretty dang good job this year. But, um, you know, the younger guys are the guys who kind of struggled a little bit. And that's to be expected in my opinion. But um, I think where Dolphins fans have become a little bit worried is because, you invested high draft picks in these guys. These aren't guys with low expectations that nobody was expecting to pan out. No, these are guys that a lot of people had a lot of faith in thought could develop into pro bowl type players. And that's what they were kind of expecting from. Him. He didn't get that. So when that happens, you have to go back to the drawing board. And, you know, when you invest that much into a, a pick, you're very reluctant to just cut ties, sever ties. You want to give him every chance he has to succeed because it's just in the best interest for you to do so. Um, but like you said, they're Super Bowl aspirations now. We don't have time to, Sit here and let a bunch of guys go through, you know, go through the process. It's win now mode, because the NFL is volatile. The NFL is volatile. You never know when it, when your window is going to close um, and you have to maximize everything. So I think going forward, making sure this offensive line is the best that it can be. However, that look, that's, you know, uh, getting some veteran guys and those, you know, free agencies winding down a little bit. If we're talking about the depth of talent that you can go acquire, but if you need to go get another veteran guy, uh, maybe you can do that. I think the, the re- realistic way is to go through the draft here. Um, there's some really good depth in this draft. If we're talking about, um, you know, potential starters, rotational pieces, guys that can develop. And I think there's the best thing about this draft class is that there's some position versatility. A couple guys we'll talk about here in, in a little while. I think those guys uh, can play guard or tackle for you in the pinch. Um, and that's been a problem with Miami. Like you said, nine different starting combinations this past season. A lot of guys get injured. I believe they played four left, I mean, right tackle this year at some point. Like, yeah. that's crazy when you really think about it. So um I think that's the way to go. And Bushberry, we're going to get into the specifics of the position, Coach. Um, you know, I haven't heard a lot of great things about the guy. But what I do know is that he's very familiar with the system. He was with uh, the 49ers in uh, 2021 when they made their Super Bowl run. He's been around. Mike McDaniel locked They have really good continuity. So if Mike McDaniel believes in the guy – I'm inclined to believe in the guy, and I'm going to give him a sh- his fair shake before I start judging him anything off of what I've heard in the past. But you heard some pretty wild stuff about him. He's a disciplinarian, uh, maybe too much to, a, to an extent. But we'll see how it goes out. I think with this offense, how quickly the ball gets out of times, um, hopefully they're going to lean on the running game a little bit more, that it won't be as many difficult things to learn. I don't think uh we're going to have too many five-step dropbacks in this offense, at least consistently. So um I think it could be a very simple job, just keeping guys healthy, getting to the game. Um, and that could be the biggest thing here for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, just like marginal increase in health. Like the Dolphins were, I don't, I don't want to say the most injured team, but they were definitely up there. Like, I saw a chart uh, a week or so ago in terms of reported injuries. The Dolphins were by, by you know, bar the, the most reported injured team, um, you know, Ron Armstead so whenever he, like he, I, I didn't realize how much he did for the offensive line until he went down and then you ask guys <laughs> and you ask coaches and they're like, nah, like he's calling stuff out. He helps us uh, point stuff out pre-snap and whatnot. So just even having Ron Armstead in the lineup, I think he missed about four or so games. Just having him in the lineup a little bit more helps a lot. Um, you know, I know a lot of Dolphins fans have been frustrated about their lack of movement in terms of the offensive line. Um, they, only signed one, they only signed one outside free agent so far Dan Feeney from the New York Jets, and then they signed uh Kendall Lamb and Jerron Christian. But I think all those guys kind of project as uh as you know maybe rotational guys swing swing tackle type guys at this point i'm not really sure where you can get like a legitimate bona fide starter in uh in free agency maybe you bring in some veteran competition for Leah mike and Berg and austin jackson and mike mcdaniel said last week at the owners meeting that uh you know they were kind of surveying the market they probably didn't want to spend too much money on that position given like you said that young invest that investment they have in those young players um so it really does look like like you said they're gonna have to go uh to the draft to, to 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 you know really address that um so we'll start with that overall i mean how do you how would you assess the the depth and the talent of this uh offensive line draft class i guess we can kind of divide it by tackles and then some of the interior guys
1: yeah so overall just a quick synopsis of the class i don't think there's a lot of high-end talent here when i say high-end i mean like can't miss guys that have to go in the top 10 that we've gotten in the past which is why you see some weird tackle projection all over the first round there's some guys that are you know the Peter Snorovsky is, is, is he even a tackle in some people's eyes. We don't know. Um, the guys like Roderick Jones were very young, but have a lot of upside. They're going to go high, but you just don't know how high because um, they're not just these can't miss guys that we've seen in the past. So um, I think there's not a lot of high-end talent, but if we're talking about eight to 12 guys that could be starters and good players, I think there's a ton of those guys. And I think there's going to be a big run on tactics from what, uh, let's say pick 20 until pick 60. I think you'll see like five or six tackles go. And I think that's where, uh, the Dolphins in that second round pick can have a lot of um you know options right there, and I think we can get into it. The first guy I'll talk about yeah. is Matthew Bergeron, uh, a tackle out of Syracuse. Uh, he's a guy I I think there's a little bit of a trend here. I didn't even realize until just now, but I saw most of these guys at the the, the Senior Bowl down in Mobile. Yeah. So I was uh, fortunate enough to go cover down the Senior Bowl with our boy Tashawn Reed, Trevor Trout. Uh, we had a couple of my guys there, Mike Dugger uh, from covering Seahawks. So a lot of guys we were down there and got to see these guys up close and personal, and it kind of went along with the college tape. So. Uh, I was really high on Matt Bergeron going into that week. Uh, but a big question about him was, could he run the block? You know, he yeah. does a lot of pass blocking. He played left tackle, played a little bit of right tackle as well. Uber athletic. He's a Canadian kid. So, um, you know, the connotation that you kind of give with those guys, they're talk a little bit. They ain't American. You know, can they be rough and rugged and really get in the trenches and, and grind? Um, and I think he did a lot for himself. Uh, at the senior bowl, just run blocking and being really aggressive in those run pause. Uh and He showed me a little bit of something I didn't even see on tape with the run blocking. So uh, really excited about him because I think he's one of the most athletic tacklers in this draft. Uh, he's not a guy that I think is going to have a speed learning curve at all. He's very advanced with his pass protection. Uh, he, and when I say that, I mean, he switches up his sticks. He switches up his stances. He switches up his hands and his punch placement. Things that you don't see from guys at that level. Because most of the time when you're – at college level, you're either really athletic or really strong. Most people ain't put it together. Yeah, he's both, one of the yeah. guys, right? So, uh, we'll talk about another guy who's super athletic, our, our Maryland kid here. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll get to uh, Matthew Bergeron right now. But I noticed that when I was watching this tape, I'm like, man, this guy switches up his stances, he switches up his sets, he'll jump set a guy. If you notice he's a little bit stronger, he needs to get on him soon, he's gonna jump on him now. He flashes his hands so he can try to get the D line to. Clash their hands and lose some of their leverage and speed. He does some really high-level stuff that I noticed, and I was just really excited about that watching him. Uh, but because of those things that I talk about, that he maybe isn't the most advanced in the run game yet. The Canadian kid, they don't really have a, a huge background on the guy. He may fall to 50-51, where he would be there for the Dolphins, and I think he would be a prime candidate to switch over to right tackle uh, to player opposite Ron Armstead. I think that would be a, a great fit if they were lucky enough to have that guy. So um, I'm really excited about Matthew Bergeron because I think most of these guys that I'm going to name, that their best ball is ahead of them, and the learning curve is not that steep. And I think keeping that in mind, here there's some other guys that know some, like the Blake Freelands of the BYUs that I, I think have a lot of potential, uh, but I think the learning curve may be a little bit too steep or a little bit too long for a team like the Dolphins, where it might not be the best fit. But I think a kid like Bergeron could jump in there right now. Um, I want to say I want
0: to jump in real quick. I
1: think I think that's
0: kind of the dilemma about. And I want to really talk about that, but we can talk about that later. But the dilemma of that number 51 overall pick is that um, it's not a first round pick. And like you said, that the, the top end talent maybe isn't there. There's depth, but the top end talent isn't there. So there's kind of the conundrum of being kind of in this win now mode. And it's like, all right, well, it's the guy we're going to get at 51 going to be a guy that we can kind of plug and play. Like there's, I mean, a, a lot of Dolphins fans are like, hey. I'd rather them just get a running back, maybe get like a <laughs> linebacker they can put in there because those are kind of some positions where you can kind of throw them in there and you can get instant production. Whereas with a lineman, you know, maybe there might be some growing pains and he might not be ready to start, uh, start day one. Just what, are, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, that's hundred percent, you know, reasonable, I believe. But I think the thing to keep in mind here is that look at the history of the second round and look at the history of second round tackles. Uh, you've had a lot of guys. David Bakhtiari is a second round tackle. I mean, there's been guys that have made the transition pretty fast, pretty seamlessly. And a lot of it has to do with just location. I mean, this guy is not – nobody really cares about Syracuse football. Like, he's not a guy that's going to be on TV every week, people are going to be raving about. He's the, he's the guy that a lot of people aren't even going to really get dibs on him, so they see him at a senior bowl when he's around all the other guys that they've been talking about for years. Um, And that could be a reason some of these guys fall. So um, while I do agree with that, I think the position is too prime. It's too much of a need now to ignore it. I think if you're going to do it, that's the pick you do it at, unfortunately. Because let's say running back, tight end, um, linebacker. There's going to be really good players yeah. from three, four, and five that that's you can true. go get. Like, let's say a guy like, I mean, I'm really high on this kid, and I don't think he should fall this far, but running back. Tate Bigby from out of Auburn. He's a guy that could potentially be there in the fourth round. Like, crazy to think about, but that's how deep the running back class is. Uh, right. Tucker Kraft, the kid out of South Dakota State the tight end. Um, these are kids that will be there in the second, third, fourth round, maybe even past that. Um, I think there's a lot of depth in those groups where you have to reach on some of these tackles because I think it's worth it, especially we have to consider this as well. You need a right tackle. You have left yeah. tackle, right? With like Teron Armstead, right tackle is to his bond side. He's, he's a left-handed quarterback. People need to keep that in mind as well. I think it would be worth the investment for that pick. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. It's like you kind of got to weigh in the position of value, you know, how ready are they? You know, the Dolphins are in a win-now mode, but they also got to think, you know, long-term as well with some of these guys. So that's a good point. Uh, let's uh, get into some of these other guys. I know you got a, got a couple more uh, offensive linemen. Who's next?
1: Uh, so Jalen Duncan, a guy out of Maryland. Go tackle. Terps. Uh, go Terps. Go Terps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my uncle Chris actually uh, interned up there this year. Uh, he worked with Coach Locks. Him and Coach Locks was really cool. He was They both coached together down at the University of Alabama. Uh, so he was you know bored and wanted to get back in the game, so he helped assist the uh, offense line coach this year and he told me this is this is crazy when when I say this because uh, he played with Trent williams he he played in the golden age of uh, left tackle uh, Jonathan knowledge and Orlando Pace. he said he's never seen a guy as as, let, as athletic as Jalen Duncan is at the tackle position, so that' should let you know how much of an athlete the kid is, but he did say he's raw he needs some refinement he needs some development. Um, but when you have guys like that, six-time Pro Bowler, consensus All-American, Outland Trophy winner, saying that, hey, this guy's the most athletic guy I've ever seen play the position, uh, and we need to just refine it and we need to hone in on it and, and fine-tune it, you how would you not take a chance on a guy like that? I mean, I think he would be a great fit, especially when we talk about positional value. Um He was the guy that people in the beginning of the season were talking about, you know, anywhere first, between 15 yeah, to 32, anywhere in that mid to late first round range. So if you can get a guy like that at 51, I think it would be well worth it, um, especially when you have a guy like t Stead on the team already. He's the guy that has some of those similar concerns. Really athletic. Can he fill out his frame? Can he be uh, productive on the next level? And he answered those questions with flying colors and developed into one of the best players in the NFL. So uh, Jalen Duncan has got supreme pass blocker, one of the best pass blockers in the country. Definitely needs some work in the run game. But I think he did a lot for himself in the senior bowl as well. So he's another guy that uh, kind of turned the page and said and showed that he could be a little bit more aggressive and get after the run game. So we're talking about value for the pick. Jalen Duncan would be a great value.
0: Yeah. So I, I was reading up on him. But obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a TURP alum. So, uh, you know, I watched him a bit. I always say that offensive line play is, is tough to watch in real time. Um, because it's just not that focused on it, and you know, I was talking to a Dolphins offensive lineman late last year, and he was just like, "There's just so so many nuances that goes that go into it that people don't pick up. The average watchers and pick up, but um, f- from what I read and what I've seen, it seemed like." his junior year I guess his red shirt junior year you'd say was a little bit better than this past season you know I, I know the the previous year um he had went up against Aiden Hutch, Hutchinson and some um some top flight pass rushers in the Big Ten and he really held his own that's what really got um him on the radar of a lot of people but maybe this past season wasn't as good but um, you know, I was I was on a conference call with Daniel Jeremiah and, uh with the NFL Network and he said this guy is like like his best football is definitely ahead of him you know he he's probably a year away like he's probably not ready to step in day one um but he has all the tools um and and it's interesting uh when you also weigh like you get the 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 tools and traits guy uh who may not be as refined technique wise or do you get the guy who's very refined technique wise but doesn't have the the measurable i think that we've kind of seen that play out with uh with austin jackson and liam eikenberg because austin jackson coming out was you know he has great size he has the footwork he has the athleticism and whatnot but he's a little rough around the edges and you got to work on that and then liam eikenberg was all right, he's a technician, Notre Dame, been there for several, several years as a starter, but maybe he doesn't have the size and whatnot. And that's why we saw him kind of move into guard. So it's like, you can go both ways. but I think it's really about, you know, the the system fit and then the coaching and development. Cause we I think we really downplay how important um, that development is. And, you know, even for, you know, those two guys that we're talking about, um, you know, they've been in a system now where they've had two going on three new offensive line coaches and, you know, austin jackson said straight up like when i go in with these new coaches um you know i'm learning different past sets or telling me to you know have my stance a little bit different so i really that that lack of continuity really does stunt it really can't stunt your growth and i wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's played a role in some of the things we've seen with those guys
1: yeah 100 And you talk about the, some coaches have different philosophies with sets and stances, but most of the time it's just terminology you have to learn how to speak the language all over yes, again. That's what it is. It's, yep. a, it's a new language. Yep. 100%. And you have to know how to communicate that language to the rest of the guys on the line because everybody has to be on the same page. So uh, when I say I say that to say, even if you refine the technique, because I don't think Liam's a bad technician. But he looks like he don't know what he's doing half the time. So it's like he's thinking too much about where do I have to be? Where are my eyes supposed to be? Am I passing this off? Is this guy supposed to Like, It's just so much going on in his head. You can see it. Um. So even just, just learning the game and being able to communicate, it slows you down enough to where you would be able to uh, maybe be able to just lock in a little bit better. But that 100%, when you have – I believe it's nine different O-line coaches in nine seasons now for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. I don't think that's ever been – I've never heard of that before, especially at that level. Maybe college, you might get some turnover like that, but uh, that is definitely hard on the young guys to develop when you have to go through it every season.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Like we said, Butch Berry is the new offensive line coach. He has you know familiarity with McDaniel scheme, game, so hopefully it's not too much of a new learning curve. All right, we got a couple more guys. I'm, I'm going to let you start running through them before we uh, get to a break. Who's up next?
1: Okay, so uh, it's funny you talk about the – The athleticism guy versus the kind of refined guy, because this is another refined guy that I think is ready to play now. Um, But he may have maxed out already. Tyler Steen, uh, tackle out of Alabama. He's a guy that started at Vanderbilt, transferred to Alabama this past year, started at left tackle and didn't give up a sack. I mean, he's as steady as a rock. Um, He's not the the crazy athlete the rest of these guys are. He's not going to while you with his athleticism. He's not going to while you with his power. But what he is is a nasty guy. He, he takes very good sets. He finishes in the run game. I mean, he just rocks out. He started at left tackle for the University of Alabama. He's a guy that I think is a prime candidate to move over to right tackle at the NFL level. And he's a guy that I think showed great guard versatility down the Senior Bowl. If you needed to put him to play guard in a pinch, he's a guy that I think has uh, positional value at multiple areas, which is why I think for the value, it could be a very good pick as well. Because it, it, like I said, the injuries all over the board. For the Miami Dolphins this year. So he's the guy that has played all over the offensive line, um, but I think has really good potential at left, I mean, excuse me, at right tackle. It um, would be a very good value pick. And I'll just list the last two here because before we go to like transition the tight ends, because um, I don't think these guys would be there. So I don't want to get too in depth in them. And yeah, I know. I saw one name
0: and I was like, I don't know if he's going to be there at 51, but yeah. go ahead, go ahead.
1: So Anton Harrison, uh, tackle out of Oklahoma, and Daywan Jones, tackle out of Ohio State. I think either one of those two guys were the follow, it would be uh, Anton because he's a little bit lighter. Uh, he's not one of the, he's just like I said with Jalen and Matt Bergeron, not great run blocker, really good pass blocker, has all the measurables and the size to fill out. Uh, but Daywon Jones is massive, you know, 6'8, 375. Got to see him at the, uh, excuse me, at the senior bowl and he dominated the one day he practiced, uh, did really good for his, himself. And, you know, not like the rest of these guys, he's a natural right tackle. That's all he's played. That's what he is. That's what he'll be at the next level. Um, so he's the guy that I would love to have at the position because I think he's pretty, I think big enough, strong enough to where he can kind of, Uh, work through some of the kinks that we're talking about, uh, adjusting at the next level, Uh, but I don't think he'll be there. And Same thing with Anton. I think that's too good of prospects to to pack up and get down to 50th, first pick, I believe.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Good stuff. I know... um... Uh, ESPN had a conference call with Matt Miller and Jordan Reed uh, last week, and they named uh, Bergeron and Freeland as two guys who they think uh, would, would be there at fifty-one. So, um, again, maybe not a not a plug and play starter, definite starter there, but definitely like you like you said, some guys with uh, good tools. Um, they definitely have a skill set. They could get depth. I think I think more than anything, they need depth because I think I think it's really clear that I don't want to say like I, I think they are going to bring in some guys who who could. Com- challenge for the left guard and right tackle spot. But I think it's very clear through the messaging that they want Eichenberg and Austin Jackson to be those guys. So like at this point, I'm expecting Eichenberg and Austin Jackson to be a stars unless they sign a star that's clearly better than them. Or they bring in some some young guys and then they kind of overtake them in OTA right. and training camp. I'm expecting those guys to be the starters. Um, so at this point, it's about just getting the depth because again, non different starting offensive line combinations, a um, bunch of injuries throughout. Um, they got they got to have depth, you know. Like you know, we got to the to the playoff game and they had to move Rob Hunt <laughs> to right tackle, and they've got guys that have never played all season for them, you know, stepping in. So um, just really got to build depth more than anything, and I think that's what uh. Chris Graham, Mike McDaniels, so they're looking to do. All right, I appreciate that, man. Uh, we're gonna take a short break, but when we come back on the side of things, we're gonna talk tight end prospects. I know Kai has some uh, tight ends he's looking out for, as well as uh, get get his thoughts on the Dolphins entire offseason. Uh, so stay locked with us, and we'll be back soon. What's going on, everybody? Still here with Kai Ron on the Dolphins and that podcast, talking to all things Dolphins. Uh, the first half. Kyle was going through some offensive line prospects uh, that he thinks Dolphins fans should keep their eye out for. Uh, and at number fifty-one, uh, day two, day three range, second half, we're gonna go uh, switch over to the tight ends. Um, I, know I I feel like the Dolph, Dolphins fans are obsessed with like three positions: this offensive line, well, outside outside of quarterback into it, they're obsessed right. with offensive line, running back, and tight end. <laughs> Like, that's all you hear about during the offseason. Um, and it was a little bit of a shakeup, uh, for the tight end room. Lose three guys, uh, Mike Koseki goes off to the Patriots, release Ethan Carter, who wasn't really much of an impact player on offense. Um, it was a special teams guy. Um, and then I'm trying to, uh, they also traded Hunter Long away, uh, in the yep. trade that brought uh Jalen Ramsey. I don't think anybody's really you know tripping over that, but still, <laughs> uh, still, right. still a shakeup. Um, they signed Eric Sobert from the Denver Broncos, kind of an inline blocking guy, and uh, just recently, yesterday, they extended Durham Smythe uh, through the twenty twenty five season, which I thought was a really interesting move. Um, he signed a two year deal last year, and that kind of felt like one of those, like, all right, we like you. Um, it's like they, you know, last year they had to the overhaul of the entire offense, but they brought back Smythe. Um, they put the franchise tag on Gasecki, and uh, Smythe was kind of felt kind of one of those, like, all right, let's fill fill you out, see if see if you fit in this offense. Um, I think he played his role well, um, so you give him a new new deal, two year uh, two year extension. It um, increases uh salary, make it guarantee, and whatnot. So good for him. Um, but I don't think that that move in any way should you know like prevent the Dolphins from targeting a tight end with their first pick or really with any of their picks. Um, the only other tight end that they have on the roster um, is Tanner Connor, who they like, but you know he didn't really make much of an impact as an undrafted um, rookie. So just what are your thoughts on you know what they've done with the tight end? position so far and you
1: know uh, what they need well what they've done leads me to believe that they're clearly going to address it in the draft that's what i'm thinking like i think like you just said they made all the moves that they made will uh, lead us to believe they're going to take a guy in the draft because i think this is a, a very deep position in this draft and it has guys that fit the scheme um there's one guy that i won't even talk about here that i really like i'm really hot on I th- I musgrave I... out of State. yeah 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 so i really like the musgrave but I think he's just like died to sick. like So I don't yeah, think yeah. he would be a fit because they just you know, made it very clear that uh, his role would be limited in here because he's not a great run blocker. Yeah. Um, so uh, while I think Musgrave could definitely develop into it, it just doesn't make sense in my mind. But um, there's some guys that I really like for this position. Uh, Sam Laporta, tight end out of Iowa, 6'4", 250. I think he's one of the more athletic guys in the draft period, pound for pound. I believe he ran four five six um, at 250 pounds, 6'4". Uh, and he has he's a great in line blocker. I mean, we can almost call Iowa tight end you at this point, maybe. Yeah, I think they have a fair
0: yep. right, saying, yeah,
1: right. So, uh, I mean, Notre Dame has a, a, a fair argument, but I think Iowa has it right now. So, he comes from that that lineage, and I think he's every bit as good as I won't say every bit as good as Kill, don't get me wrong, but I think he's every bit as good as Hop coming out. Um, and I think he, this guy has a little bit more athleticism than hawkinson has, so uh, it, he would be a very very good scheme fit. I mean, talk about an in-line blocker, guy that can help in the run game and is very good running route. Uh, he's definitely a mismatch. He's still faster than most linebackers. He's bigger than most linebackers, he's for sure. Um, so he's definitely going to be a mismatch in the run in the passing game as well. I think he would be a great fit and I think the value would be 100% worth it at 51. So if you're not going to go offensive line, if you're not going to go running back, linebacker, 100% tight end would be a position to address. And I think he's the guy that fits that mold. And another guy, I'll really on this kid. Uh, you know, I was playing FCS football, so I have a lot of an affinity for these guys, but he's actually worked at uh Tucker Craft out of South Dakota State University. Uh they they starting to have a, a couple guys get in. I know Dallas Goddard, uh he's there at the, the Philadelphia Eagles. He comes from South Dakota State. They have a really good lineage as well. Uh but he's six foot six, two hundred and fifty-five pounds. They call him Baby Gronk up there. I think that's a little bit lofty, but he's a great, fantastic inline blocker, and he's really, really nice after the catch. So, uh, I don't think he's a breakaway guy, even though he, I, I believe he ran very well. I think he ran, ran four six, um, which is pretty dang good for a guy six six two fifty five. Uh, but when he does is he separates well, I can catches the ball. He's so big and strong. He has a mean, stiff arm. Yeah. Uh, he can create separation and route running. I think he, he, he has some of the best stick routes I've seen from this draft class. Uh, so he's the guy that I think would be a huge asset on third downs and in the red zone, uh, which Miami, I not they haven't struggled at, but it's always, you can never be too good at it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I believe they were the, the best third down, but struggled early down. I can't remember. Uh, here, not, neither here nor there, but uh, you can never be too good in the red zone. And I think that's where he would help this team out tremendously. Run blocking and in the red zone, uh, having a guy like that in the middle while you have the speed that you have outside, you can't beat that. Uh, so Tucker Craft out of South Dakota State, I think, will be another really, really fine addition uh, and will be fine at the pick for number 51. He's more than worth that value, especially if he turns out uh, and plays to his potential you would get a feel at 51. All right. So Laporta is the guy who I feel like
0: just seemed like he was like handcrafted for the offense. Like you talk about oh, yeah. uh, the lineage, the, the history, um, you know, at, at Iowa. He, he mentioned that, I think that, I think he was actually flexed out a little bit more than maybe, than maybe some other tight end. I mean, well, it seems like a lot of tight ends are are, are kind of like, you know, just big wide receivers. But uh, it seems like he was kind of flexed out a little bit more than, than most Iowa Titans that have kind of come through, um, but he has some wiggle to him. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting because we talk about like the impact that George Kittle had or has on the San Francisco 49ers offense. And over time it was kind of like, all right, the Dolphins need like a George Kittle or George Kittle or George Kittle. But I'm kind of like changing my my thought process about that because the the schemes are are different. The schemes are different. No, excuse, excuse me. The schemes are, same, are the same, but the way that the – 49ers and the Dolphins use their skill position players are, are yeah, totally are a lot different. different. So like it could you know, <laughs> it could be more polar opposite. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a lot of it is like getting the ball like, but like I, I, obviously the middle of the field is big for both both of, this, of the schemes. But like the the way that Waddle and Hill test uh, defenses vertically is like insane. You know, and, yes. and they and they test. Defenses and secondaries in a way that I don't think the 49ers have or, or really can just because they don't they don't have right. that type of speed. Um, so the more I think about it and, and it's like this this offense is so predicated on getting the ball to those two guys. Obviously, you know, they they signed Braxton Barrios. They got a couple guys coming back and whatnot, but the offense is so predicated on getting. Um, the ball into the hands of Waddle and Hill that I think it's like so imperative to get a guy that can, you know, can execute like the basic run responsibilities, but also has that upside as a pass catcher. And I think Smythe, Smythe is solid in his role. I think, I think that like, that's yes. what he is. Like I, I say, he's a reliable contributor. He, he's going to do what you asked him to do. Maybe not more, but certainly not less. Um, right. But you know, with, but with Laporte, I feel like you have that, that you, you have that, Closest thing to Kittle, I'm not saying it's going to be Kittle, but if you have that closest yeah. thing to Kittle where you can kind of flex him out. Maybe you can do a couple, you know, you can do two wide receiver, two tight ends. But it's really, you know, 11 personnel because Laporta has that skill as a wide receiver and as a pass catcher. Um, so I think that at 51, I think that that'd be like a like a slam dunk pick. Another guy that you didn't mention, I just want to get your thoughts on because I know Dolphin fans have been talking about him a lot. Um, I don't think he's going to be there, but if he's there. Um, he'd be interesting darnell washington from georgia six seven, two seventy. 270 so at first it was looking like he might be available in the second round and then he went to the combine he showed out right and ever since then it's been like yeah he's not he's not getting out of he's not getting out of the first round or late or or uh early second what what are your thoughts on him
1: so darnell is a tricky one because if he does go in the first round i think it'll be a lot higher than people project I think the longer it gets into the first round, the more you'll see the, the falloff. I believe that a lot of teams already either have their tight end or they have a positional need that's uh, much higher than tight end. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy. With that 15th pick, I'll be really interested to see uh, who the uh, – excuse me, the Green Bay Packers take if they still have the pick. Oh, uh, but if they still have the pick at 15, uh, I'll be very interested to see who they take because it's either going to be – I think it's going to be a tight end uh, it's going to be Mayor Washington or Jackson and Jigba if Jackson and McIntyre, is still there. Uh, so if he doesn't go there, I think it could be a very steep fall off for the kid, and he could potentially fall into the second round. Uh, but let's just think like he's not going to be there and just talk about the player. I think he's one of the most enigmatic picks you could have in this draft. But I think if you're talking about me, my personal, my football opinion. Well, but why do you say
0: enigmatic? En- why, why why do you say that? Why is he so polarized?
1: because Because. A lot of people either think he's not nearly athletic as he is, so they think like, oh, he looks good, like he makes the play every now and then, but that's not what you're going to get consistent enough for me to take him in the first round. Then mm-hmm. a lot of people think he's just an inline blocker. Uh, then some people think he's Gronk reincarnated, could be better. It's just there's such a wide variance of opinion on the guy. And I think what people need to do is just strip back all the expectation of what he could be and look at what he is now. I know that's hard to do when you're talking about draft because everybody wants to talk about projection and what they could yeah. be, but right now he's the best blocking tight end in this. Draft, bar none. The Dolphins need he's a blocker even... tight end. They
0: need a blocker tight end so we check,
1: he checks the box. He's a, he's the best blocker tight end. He's not just the best blocker tight. End. He's one of the best blockers in the draft period. Yeah. People make jokes all the time about him, you know, being a oh, yeah, tackle, yeah, on yeah, the moving field. The tackle,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: But I mean, the jokes are almost warranted because he's really that good. He's really that dominant. He displaces people, and he wasn't just displacing, you know, he didn't play in the SDS, no disrespect to the guys I played against, because, I mean, you know, I, but he was displacing SEC guys. He was displacing uh, Big Ten guys in, in the championship games. He was doing it against the elite competition. Um, and then what you got from him in the passing game, people, you know, Harold Brock Bowers is, you know, the next coming. Uh, but if you look at their yards per catch, Brock Bowers had more. But okay. I thought Darden Washington had, like, it was only a couple percentage points lower. I think uh, Brock Bowers had like 17 yards a carry. Uh, excuse me, a catch, and then Darnell averaged like 16.9. So he's shown that he could be a, a vertical threat in the passing game, and he has the ability uh, to be a consistent target in the passing game for an offense, and I think it will only be amplified when you play in the West Coast system like uh, you're going to play with uh, the, the Dolphins, where you're going to get, you know, heightened targets and heightened catches. So I think he would be a great pick for the Dolphins, but I'm trying not to get excited about it because I don't think he's going to be there. I think the the idea of a guy that's 6'7", 265 pounds that runs like he does, that blocks like he does, that has nothing but potential and upside. Uh, I don't think there's any way a kid like that falls to 51. But in the event that he does, I don't think it's a it's a it's a no brainer. You take a guy like that in this offense.
0: Yeah, I know. Again, like a couple a couple weeks before the comment, I think that was like like him going to 51 at 51 was definitely like a very a lot of people like really believe that. And then he did what he did at the combine. It's like people were—they were kind of rumblings, like all right, he's going to show, like he's going to run like four six at two seventy right. pounds. But everyone was like, is he really going <laughs> to do that? And then he did that. And I think what was even even more impressive was like the, the short area quickness drills, like yeah, like because that was the kind of the knock on him, like oh, he's a little stiff, you know, he can't wiggle, he can't move in space, down, like. But the short area quickness, like the three cone and the shuttle and whatnot, like right. that was impressive too. So.
1: Which um, yeah, probably Which I thought was a funny concern, because everybody just has to. I mean, I think, too, the tight ends of this class are really athletic. Michael is a good athlete. Uh, Dalton Kincaid's a really good athlete. Uh, LaPorte is a really good athlete. They're a little bit more fluent and smooth in their motion. But if you know anything about offensive line play, it's all lateral movement. It's all agility. It's all quick movement. So him being, you know, really uh, explosive in the short area quickness wasn't very surprising to me because of how well he blocked, how uh, demonstrative he is in this movement, and how efficient he is in his movement. I think that people think he's stiff because he's just so big. You don't see a guy that big be able to move. So it's like uh, it looks a little different to people. It just optically, is weird, but he's always been an efficient mover, and I think that's more important than being smooth or explosive. So uh, I think he, he always has had that in him.
0: That's a good That's a good point. Again, he's probably not going to get to 51. Um, but there's a there's – a, I mean, I think that, like, multiple draft experts have said this is, like, the best tight end class in, like, like a decade um yeah. so again it's kind of like like you said kind of with running back like the dolphins might not need to get a guy at 51 maybe i think the next pick is in the 80s or so like maybe they 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 wait till 84 maybe they you know they can trade. they only have four picks so maybe they trade back kind of move around to get more picks and they get a guy in the third or fourth round so there's definitely gonna be a lot of options there oh. right, i appreciate that guy yes, a lot of guys i'm trying to think you got you got seven guys first so um, a lot of good stuff there before we head out we got we got to talk about the dolphins offseason because I know I know you were hyped when they got Ramsey. I know yeah, you said man. you said it's, it's you said it's Super Bowl. Uh I've been really I've been really high on the team honestly like um last year I thought that they they exceeded my expectations. Like I and I mean I didn't have them as a playoff. I had them like as a French playoff team last year. Um but I think that like the 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 level of play that they got out of Tua, um it, I mean I, I think it exceeded most people's expectations like a lot of people were saying, you know, we had Tyree Kill and Jaylen Waddle and Mike McDaniel singing his praises. Um, but obviously, you know, that was expected from them. But, like, he definitely exceeded everyone's expectations. Like, I, I think that we, we've seen a guy who can be an, an elite quarterback when healthy. Um, I think that the one thing that surprised me was the drop-off from the defense. I expected them to drop off a little bit without Brian Flores. Um, but obviously the injuries played a big factor, um, you know, Josh Boyer was kind of hit and miss. He was up and down with some of his play calls. They bring in Vic Fangio, um, obviously Ramsey. Uh, I think the signing of David Long might be like the second best signing. You know, that they have, you know, this offseason, you know, next to Ramsey. Um, just getting like a three down guy that they can put next to Jerome Baker. and get some consistency in there. Um, the question is, though, are they like, where do they rank in the FC? Because, you know, I think I was talking about it last couple weeks ago with my, uh, with my co-host David Neal. Um, I think the Dolphins over under for win total right now, I think DraftKings or somebody said it's like nine and a half. And I I think that at first thought I was like, that's way too low. But I I also consider the fact that like you got to factor in the the injury questions about Tua. Um, But like if healthy and, you know, obviously no team, NFL team is ever fully healthy. But if healthy, I think this is like a, like honestly, I think it's a 10 to 11 win team, like minimum. Like I really think, I think that, you know, they won nine. How many games was it? Nine games or so. And Tua yeah. missed essentially like six games, um, yeah. or so five games. I think with the second year of McDaniel's scheme. And the one thing I say about the offense is interesting. Is like on paper they haven't really gotten better, and you could say maybe they got worse. Like you lose Gasecki, who wasn't really a scheme fit. You lose Trent Sherfield. Um, so you know at, at best maybe you stay the same. But I think that the second year in that scheme like could do wonders. For them because you get you can see like they didn't really start to click until like right when Tua came back and they hit like the like the Lions I think it was after the the Steelers game that like our yeah, our Steelers game. and obviously like the maybe the the competition level wasn't as high but you really started to see it click that was like the first couple of games they were kind of like feeling out like our house is going to work with the different guys that we have and whatnot how are we going to use different guys but once they once they hit like the Lions game like Something just clicked and was like, all right, we know, we know how we're gonna attack defenses or know, we know what they're gonna do to us. Um and in year two, um, just having that knowledge and having that familiarity with the scheme, I think it could do wonders. Obviously, to a staying healthy, it could do wonders. Um, oh, yeah. But I mean, I think it's a team that like I keep on saying, like, I, I think they're honestly talent-wise, they, they might be like, I don't think, I don't think it's crazy to say they're the most talented team in the in, in the AFC, honestly.
1: I don't think so either. I mean, it's- you're biased you're biased though, Jets, they, <laughs> oh, of course, but I think if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets, um, then they have a fair claim. I think they're incredibly talented. Um, and I think that might be why the nine and a half win thing is also fair because the division is so tough. The Bills are still really good. Uh, the Patriots have been really good for 20 years. They're never going to be a bad football team. Um, and the Jets uh, presumably are going to get, it's going to get one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So you could only imagine that they'll get a little bit better. So I think that's fair on the win projection, but it's funny you talk about that. I want to. I, I wrote a piece before this last season. Um, what I thought the prediction would be, and I, this is my prediction for Tua. I said he'd throw for thirty seven hundred yards, thirty one touchdowns, sixty seven percent completion percentage. I thought he would throw fourteen interceptions and have three rushing touchdowns, and the team would go eleven and six and have a wild card burn. So I, was, I wasn't too far off. I was. Yeah, obviously, the injuries the, the injuries
0: the injuries kind of like threw off, right. kind of threw off the the, the numbers predictions. But that's that's about right. Yeah, like totally twenty five.
1: I underestimated his ability to take care of the football. I thought he took care of the football really well this year. I mean, literally half of his, uh, you know, turnovers came when he was concussed, but like he didn't yeah, know yeah. where he was. So, yeah. uh, you talk about kind of the outline of the season. I thought that was really important to go back to because uh, I thought even in some of the losses, he he showed his potential and he showed how well he can play. Um, the The away game at the Bills on Christmas, Eve, I believe it was. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's one of my favorite games uh, of yeah. two of this entire season because. Uh, he showed what he could do against at that time the top-ranked defense in the in the National Football League statistically. Um, in, in the snow, is cold yeah. on the road. So um, that was a off, that was a
0: narrative busting game, I think.
1: I 100%, think because it was yeah. after the Chargers game. Because I I didn't see the 49ers game as a negative. I thought he started rough, but what he did in that second half, giving the team a chance to win, the people don't remember. But it was twenty-four to seventeen, and the, the Dolphins were driving in to go score to tie the game. Uh, when uh Shirtfield. It looked like he caught the ball, didn't get his feet down, they challenged it and took the ball away. So Tua actually willed the team back into position to win that game. and showed me a lot in that game. While it wasn't perfect, you never want to throw two interceptions in the first half. Uh I saw the adjustments, I saw the growth, I saw the ability to lead a team. The only game that I left, you know, disappointed with the entire season was the Chargers game. Um so I think that even uh when the numbers weren't as great, even when the wins weren't coming, I think you saw a lot of growth from Tua and the offense. And as long as he's healthy, which that's the biggest question mark, uh going forward. I think that's the most important thing for this team by far. Uh And Tron Armstead's health as well. If he's able to stay healthy and he's able to put a full season together, um, God's the limit for the team. And I don't want to get too excited because uh, we know how you know, everybody has paper champions. I mean, the Bills have, I, mean, I'm not, I don't want to hate on the Bills the division, around, but they've been paper champions for two or three years now. Um, you know, even, you know, a team like the 49ers. The, and the
0: Dolphins have been paper champions the past couple of years, and Yeah, but really I think more we realistic so.
1: because people haven't expected as much from Tua. I think now with people seeing what he's actually capable of um, and you have the additions of Tyreek and those guys and you just expect a little bit more from him now. I think the expectations are lofty and they should be because what else are you playing for if you're not playing to be one of the best teams if you're playing for to to go deep into the playoffs to win Super Bowl, so I think that should be the expectation. I think the organization has uh, put their money where their mouth is in terms of investing in the team. I think they they uh, I mean obviously when you go out and acquire all pro all time great like Jalen Ramsey to pair opposite Zayvon Howard, you, yeah. you're doing something. You're you're really trying to invest in the team. So um, I thought they showed a vote of confidence uh, in some of the younger guys. Who, you know, uh, I won't get too personal here, but. A guy like Verone McKinley has a chance to step in and, and fill a role uh, in that defense this year opposite Javon Holland. I think uh, we're probably, I mean, there's Vic your defense now, so you know we're going to get some uh, more, of the, you know, two than to look at exactly than we've been accustomed to seeing. So I think that's going to do wonders for uh, the, the back end. I think only time they struggled this season uh, is when they were giving up explosive plays on the back end. Uh, with the secondary now, I mean, listen, they have one of, this is the thing that makes me believe in the team more if we're talking about talent-wise. You said they're going to be – it could be the most talented team in the, a- the AFC. I don't think there's a secondary in the National Football League outside of maybe the New York Jets, if you if you really uh, hold them in that high regard, that can match the, the Dolphins secondary one through six right now. I mean, if you look at – because I think K who is much better than the national media, the national uh, – of the average fan – Get some credit for. I don't think people understand how well he how, played how good season. he
0: is a rookie. Yeah, like right. I man, like he literally like a, a boundary, a number two boundary corner last year,
1: and as a hundred percent. Yeah. So you add a guy like Jalen Ramsey to a team that has Kader okay, uh a healthy Zayden Howard presumably this coming up season, uh, Javon Holland, one of the best safeties, and I mean it's just too many talented guys on the same team. Uh, I believe we still have some guys injured that are coming back as well uh, in the secondary. So. Uh, I think the secondary improvement is going to be the biggest thing for this team outside of the health of two, because we see what happens when you get to the playoff. We see what happens when you get deep into the season. Um, teams are going to throw the football, man. If you can't stop Josh Allen, if you can't stop Patrick Mahomes, you can't stop uh, Justin Herbert, presumably Trevor Lawrence, these guys in the playoffs. If you don't have guys that can match up and make it difficult for those guys, uh, I think the pass rush is going to be fine. So I'm saying the back end because I'm entrusting the, the pass rush to get home this year. Um yeah. I think that's the biggest thing for this team outside of Tua's health is the secondary improvement. As long as they're playing and clicking on all cylinders, this guy should be the limit for this team.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, again, going back to the offense, like when Tua was in the line, Tua was in the lineup. Like this was like efficiency-wise, numbers-wise, a top three right. offense. So you know, people talk yeah. about oh, maybe maybe not making the the proper improvements to the offense. Obviously, they got to adjust the line there. Right. But it's like when Tua's in the lineup, when he's got Tyreek, when he's got Jalen, it's literally a top three offense um so I think they're going to be fine there and obviously like we said uh, a lot of talent added to the to the defensive like banjo um you know his, his resume speaks for itself so there's a lot of reasons reasons to be excited I know they got OTA starting in a couple weeks so I'm excited for that we finally get to see some of those matchups for sure so I'm excited I know you're excited and a lot of people in South Florida are all right that brings us to the end of another edition of the Dolphins in that podcast I want to thank God so much for joining me before we get out of here uh plug whatever you want what you got going on uh floor is yours real quick
1: Uh, Just follow me on Twitter, at Kyron Samuels. I have a link tree where I have all my other stuff. So when I do, I don't write as much as I used to, but when I get some pieces out there, it'll be there. When I do my YouTube breakdowns, I have some of the guys I talked about um, in the draft. I have some YouTube breakdowns that it'll all be there in in my uh, bio there. and you get everything that I'm doing. So really excited about this. And and, and I want to say congratulations to you and uh, props to you because you've been doing your thing, man. I appreciate it.
0: And I appreciate that much. love, man. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, like I said, that brings us to the end of another edition of the Dolphins in that podcast. Once again, thank you to Kai. Uh, we'll be back next week to recap another week of Dolphins football, but until then you guys take care. See you.